Michael Hasted, and welcome to Arts Talk Radio, which brings you interviews, news and reviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, which are either in English or where language is no problem. We concentrate on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and everything in between or nearby. Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. Rotterdam is a city famous for its architectural innovation. The Mark Tal and the Cube Houses are famous throughout the world. But now there's a new building which will steal their limelight and no doubt be on the cover of all the architectural magazines. The depot is the amazing new storage facility for the city's Boyman's Van Bernigen Museum and it's unique in that it allows members of the public to go in and see work which is not normally on display in the museum itself. The iconic building is a huge bowl, covered in mirrors, which reflects the changing moods of the city, day and night, rain or shine. I'm at the press day for the depot, a few days before its official opening by King Willem Alexander, and I hope to speak to some of the people who are responsible for this incredible building. Hi, I'm Fokke Mourou, I'm one of the partners at MVRDV, and I've been uh, involved in this amazing project, I can say, I'm quite proud actually today. Um, since the beginning, for us, uh, starting in 2013 with the competition. And how does that actually work? It's just people who don't understand the, the concept of it. It's basically, this is where Boyman's Van Bernigen stores all its pictures, but the public can come in and look at them. How does that work? That is the amazing thing, because indeed before they had like seven depots like in the outskirts of the city, um, not very well um, conditioned, and um, and everything so close to each other, because we've been visiting them uh, at the beginning of this project, and you could hardly find anything, So it, it and dusty, and, and not, not the best condition. So um, that was the ambition for, for the museum, to actually, first of all, bring the collection together, and to have really an overview, um, uh, but also to to make it accessible and not just uh, for um, um, scientists or uh, art uh, historians but really for, for everybody who actually owns this whole collection because it's from the city. We all pay tax for this so that's uh, yeah, too ambitious to bring them together and that was a challenge to make a fridge and a safe actually publicly accessible. And the paintings for example are all on, on racks. There's a great big rack which I suppose about four, five, four by five meters and mm -hmm. all the paintings hanging and you can actually come and have a, you can't pull the rack out yourself but you can ask somebody to pull it out on your behalf exactly yeah there's different ways of visiting uh, the depot so first of all you can actually after hours you can go up just for free and enjoy the view that is the most publicly accessible uh, way of getting into the building. Um, another way is, of course, to just buy a ticket, like with any other museum or, or uh, event space. Um, uh, so you buy a ticket, you can go visit uh, the atrium, where you can see all the big vitrines um, with uh, special expos. And, uh, and uh, if you uh, have a um, guided tour, you can also go into all the depots. So it's, uh, you can be in there for 10 minutes, and then you, can, you have to be out again, because, of course... It's yes, we were, we were thrown out one just now because we yes. were making it too hot. <laughs> yeah. And too damp. And too damp. Because we're breathing. <laughs> because I mean, we were all hot, hot and sweaty, that, that's yeah. the problem. And this room we're in now, this isn't paintings, this is, there's some mosaics on the walls and tiles, which are very Dutch. 
and bits of furniture. This is one of the two uh, depots where, you ha- where they store the big-sized um, uh, objects. So on the left hand you see big-sized objects of all kinds of materials, and here it's indeed ceramic. So it's all um, unorganic material, big size. So that's the thing. In each depot it's not organized like a museum, of course, um, like in time or theme or, or, or uh, a painter or whatever. It's really based on the material that it's made out of and what kind of conditions they really need to be kept in. So, for instance, the uh, the real fridge in this building is the uh, depot for the colored pictures. Um, that's like eight degrees and the lowest uh, uh, humidity. Um, and so each depot has its own uh, uh, temperature and uh, climate and uh, um, humidity and light conditions. And you say fridge. Does that mean every time you walk in, the light comes on? <laughs> Actually, it does. Yes, you're perfectly. Yeah, that's right. Because indeed, there are sensors. So also, if you're outside, if you don't have a ticket to go into the deep or not a guided tour, if you yeah, you have to stand into the 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 window, you can still look into the depot. But you can um, uh, touch a a sensor, and then the light actually will go on, so you can actually see into the space. Okay. Thanks very much indeed. Yes, you're welcome. I'm Michelle Alex, who is the director of the Borners van Voorhingen and responsible, I suppose, for the depot, which is days away from opening when the king will be here. Has it all turned out as you expected? It's much better. It improved during the years, and uh, all the plans, all the ideas are true from today. And um, uh, we have high expectations what the new instrument, uh, the instrument for keeping heritage in a good condition, what it will do to us. Mm. And so we invented a kind of system to activate heritage. And that is something that, that, that I could not imagine before that could happen with such an investment and also such an effort. Because I think this is the first of its type in the world. And I think that it could well set a trend, that you could see the big museums in the world creating a depot of their own. Sure, yes. Uh, of course, museums um, uh, had a tendency to showing uh, a salon-like uh, wall, uh, mounting many pieces on one wall. That's, of course, uh, very related to what Rotterdam is doing now. But the new thing is that we radically work in this space and that you are very close to the process of conservation and that you can really take part and also relate to the things that are not known Mm. and that you really come into the vaults. And that is a kind of model that has not been shown yet. And we know um, from, I I think, at least at at this moment, eight countries and several museums per country who uh, consider to follow in the same direction. Now, back to practical terms. This has been in... You've been building for, what, four or five years now? Uh, We we got the first permission in 2015, and the first poll, so the first fundament, was made in in 2017. And that is really the point of no return, you could say. And does it all work? Uh, um, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, it would be an exaggeration to, to, to give it a big yes because it's a new building. But most of the things work and we would never have permission to be here if it did not work adequately. That's so. No, but I mean, does, does everything fit? Did you find a place for everything? Oh, that's right. Well, we, have, we still have... Uh, so we, we did the, uh, the building with... There's not a skip the van outside full of pictures and nowhere to put them. No, 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 no. It's, we have an expectation that we have at least 20% space 
to grow in the future, and that's still what we what we what we face, what we look at. But there's also another thing: we have 1,900 square meters uh, let to private collectors and to companies, and um, they have um, uh, contracts for five years. So, if in the future anyone would work here that would like to grow to increase the collection there's also some spare space that we can use as uh, our own okay thanks very much indeed such Charlie X of Boyman's Van Boenigen Arts Talk Radio Online I was talking to Cheryl X, director of the Boyman's Van Bernigen Museum in Rotterdam. And before that, uh, Fokker Morel, a partner at Architects MVRDV, who designed the museum's depot, which will be opened by King Willem Alexander. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk radio, with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk Magazine, all one word, dot nl. Arts Talk Magazine, dot nl. I suspect there are a few people who are unaware of George Orwell's dystopian novel 1984. Well, a brand new interpretation of it is now on tour, and I went along to meet the man responsible. I'm at the Amara, the new Amara, in the centre of The Hague, the new concert complex and arts complex and home to NDT and the Royal Academy of Music. And I'm with Emlyn Stamm, who is the director of the new European Ensemble. And he'll be on stage in a very short time with the new production of 1984. Tell me a little bit about that. So 1984 is kind of a concert plus, I jokingly call it Peter and the Wolf on cocaine, <laughs> because basically it's a concert piece for a large ensemble with a cello soloist, which has been written by Estonian composer Michael Kerem, and it's based on George Orwell's book 1984, and we really wanted to bring this story to life, bring it into our time, and make really clear what in the music he was writing in order to tell that story. So we've combined it with text readings by an actor from Orwell's original text and we've created a fictitious film layer, a silent movie, which also goes along with the piece which features the musicians in the movie who are playing on stage who have been given different roles for each of their parts from the piece so that you make this connection between certain themes in the music and certain people and certain events in the story. Who was behind the picture? Remain exactly where you are. Make no movement. Until you order. Hoeveel vingers steken So it's a sort of multimedia event with a bit of everything. Is there a lot of text in it? Have you used a lot of text? I mean, there's a fair amount of text indeed. So the text is basically filling in kind of gaps and giving some context to the story where the music is let's say, um, 
not able to do so or not explicit enough to do so. So that's really the role of the text, and of course it's really acted out by uh, by Boris van der Ham, who's a wonderful Dutch actor, and in the way he, he delivers it, it really brings it to life as, a, as almost a one-man theatrical performance on top of the music that we are making. So, I mean, I think most people know the story of 1984, but how do you interpret that in music? Well, you can imagine, of course, the world that goes around the the novel. And what Michael has done is he's written quite a bit of material that reflects that kind of grim reality of of the monotony of daily life, but at the same time also the the hatred, the anger, the propaganda, the warmongering that also comes across really strongly in his music. And of course, for contrast, he's tried to evoke the humanity of characters like Winston, and who's of course the main the main character in the novel, and Julia, who leads him into this uh, this world of wanting to rebel against the system and becomes his love interest by giving them a, a human, a melodic voice, as it were and contrasting that with the brutality of the world around uh, the characters. It would actually work quite well as an opera, wouldn't it? Well, I suppose if you'd want to uh, substitute acting for singing or some such thing, but I actually quite like the way that we've put it together in the sense that it really emphasizes the, the, the speaking quality of the instrumental music and the character of the instrumental music. So my purpose and, and our purpose in doing this production was to really draw people into the music that we're playing and the musical world we're creating and have music be the centerpiece of this indeed multimedia, multi-faceted way of of bringing a concert. So how did you actually put it together? You obviously were doing the music and you've got somebody who's, I suppose, editing the text and uh, an actor who's performing the text. So how did, how did you actually organize it to, 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 to reach this final stage? Well, it's been a long process. So we started out from just a pure musical piece and then we started thinking, okay, what text do we need to fill in to really make it a complete story and have an arc and a shape of a story? So then we went and found that text and then condensed it down, working together with a, a dramaturg, Karim Amur, from the National Theatre here in, in The Hague. And um, and then, of course, we we found a, an actor to do that text, and we immediately thought of that silent film layer as well to give it an extra bit of illustration. And along the way, we thought, how do we bring this into the present? How do we make this clear that what we're doing, what, what, what Orwell is saying, continues to be relevant every day. You know, when you read the news, you open your paper, you read about the Pegasus spyware in people's phones and how this might lead to, have led to Jamal Khashoggi being assassinated. These kind of stories are coming up every couple of weeks. The Facebook revelations, the Francis Haugen uh, testimony at Congress just a week or two ago, right, all of these things. Um, show just how relevant some of the things Orwell is saying in his book are. So what we did is we connected with Edward Snowden and we asked him to put together an introduction for us and take a small role in the film and we really used his voice and his understanding of the technology of surveillance and the technology of totalitarianism to bring the peace into the present. Veel hebben van de toekomst. Denk dan aan een laars die intrapt om het gezicht van een mens voor altijd. You may as well say goodbye. And while we're on the subject, here comes a candle to light you to bed. Here comes a chopper to chop off your head. 
Because the problem is that 1984 is 36, 37 years ago. And that's always the problem when people write in the future. Same with 2001, the space oddity. It's long gone. And, of course, the prophecies never come true. And I think with 1984, there are people, people will say different things. People say it was total fantasy. Other people will say it's already here. But where do you stand? Well, I think for Orwell, it was kind of a reflection of what he saw in Stalinism of his time. And, of course, he's writing in the late 40s, so it really has the, the thought of what's happening in the Soviet Union, the way communism has turned to authoritarianism, dictatorship, and, and horror that is crossing his mind there. But, of course, many things he's saying, they continue to resonate today. That's why we're still talking about this book, you know, 70-odd uh, years later. And I think that's because he's rightly understood something about how how people can be pushed into a corner and willing to give up their freedoms and willing to um, give up control of their lives to a state or in our cases sometimes a corporation and also that we can easily be surveilled given the advancement of technology, which has taken place, right? He's talking about a telescreen, but um, the devices we have today are far superior to that when it comes to surveillance, if you think of a smartphone, right? So, And a lot of it one isn't aware of. Um, I think there's a big difference, though, because I've noticed several times um, um, the level of surveillance in Holland on, on a street level, if you like, the number of cameras are very, very few, whereas in England, Every street, I mean, I think virtually all of England is covered by closed circuit television. You can you can follow somebody across across the city, and there isn't much of that in Holland. Is there a, a re, any reason for that? Do you think there's a resistance to it, or a don't care to it? Yeah, I think maybe that people are indeed resistant to it here. I mean, however, we, we've, we've had our own problems in the Netherlands. I think the example with the child benefits scandal with the government here, I don't know if all of your listeners will be informed about it, but that's a perfect example of where you have a government which is opaque, a bureaucracy that we can't penetrate, which is um, dictating the terms of people's lives, sometimes taking their children from them, from their homes, where people have no recourse to... Uh, to uh, to have these kind of decisions overturned, and they're bankrupted by a by a cruel bureaucratic apparatus, and this just shows that, in fact, we want a situation as a society where we have the opposite, where government is transparent, where we know what's said in meetings, we know what decisions are made by whom, and where private citizens' lives remain private. But this is nothing new, whereas it's governments doing it now, it used to be the, the church, the Catholic church, who used to do exactly the same thing, and it could be said a good deal worse. So maybe it's just human nature. Well, I mean, I would say that we've, of course, made progress over time. I mean, I think the world is, at least the Western world, is, is tremendously more civilized in some ways than it was, say, in the time when Orwell was writing his book. Um, but I think we need to be on our guard because we see this authoritarian turn. We see the, the, the Trumps of the world in the United States. We see the Viktor Orbans uh, in Europe who are turning back the, the free press, right? So we very much need to be on, on our guard at this moment, and also we are quite willingly surrendering a lot of our private lives up to megalithic corporations. Like, it's really questionable whether a Google or a Facebook can be stopped, given how big and how internationally spread they've become and how much they've become interwoven into our lives. I, th I, think, I think that's the case. I think it is the, the big companies, the Googles and the Amazons, whatever, where the danger lies, because I think with the Trumps, they're fairly short-lived. They're sort of a novelty item, and, and people go along with them, but after a, a few years, they see through them. And I don't think... There have any, in the last, I don't know, 
well, almost since 1984, there are no really serious dictators with really great power have emerged on the level of Stalin or Hitler or or whoever. But I think it is the, the, the companies that, that hold the power, and as you say, it's virtually impossible to stop. Yeah, I think that's very much the case in our Western society. We, we need to think democratically about whether we should be legislating or breaking up some of these companies and how we might control the way they are using our data. Um, and we, are, we have become the product, right? Any free service online means that you are, in fact, the product sold and resold amongst advertisers without your knowledge, and they know much more about you than you'd probably like. Mm. With 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 places like Amazon or whatever, I think I think people are are willing um, to be drawn in because because of greed. They can buy things cheaper, or their desires can be catered for. So I think. You can't always blame the, the, the commercial aspect because I think with, unless they had the willing customers, they wouldn't survive. So I think it's possibly down to human greed. Well, I mean, I, th I like very much what, what Snowden actually says about this in our, uh, in our performance. He, he says basically, we are being asked, do we want to make use of this wonderful new service? Um, and it's very convenient for us, yes or no. But we are never actually really given the chance to debate as a society what the consequences are of using these services, right? So, but, but do people care? Well, I think they might if they had been given a full breadth of knowledge at the outset. And I think the greater the impact becomes of some of these services on our lives, if we look at the impact Facebook is having on, for example, vaccine uptake in the world, I think there's tremendous reason to go in and legislate and break up a company like that. I mean, it's the question of our time, right? It's, uh, it's what can be done for the future. And I think it's also um, that we need to raise awareness and we just need to keep fighting. And hopefully, you know, with, with the right amount of commitment, we could say that maybe the world in 2050 will be much more civilized than the world of today, just the way the world of today in the large part of the West is much more civilized than it was in, say, 1950. Okay, well, I think that's enough for that. I mean, we're, we're going to see the show tonight, and I shall really look forward to it. Thanks very much indeed. I'm Lynn Stam. Thank you for having me. That was Emlyn Stamm, director of the New European Ensemble, whose production of 1984 is on tour in the Netherlands throughout November. I was talking to him in his dressing room at the new Amara Performance Complex in the centre of The Hague, another amazing piece of architecture which will open officially in November. Well, that's all for this week, and uh, we shall be back soon. We, I think next time we're going to be talking about theatre, English language theatre in Amsterdam. So until then, it's goodbye. I'm Michael Hasted. Bye-bye. <laughs>